course we do because it was a it was a nice week for old the old TGDP. Yeah, helping yeah support the cause. So we got a nice donation from Howard Mount. Howie, he is one of the elite supporters because he's in the brass level. So bronze. there's brass. Bronze. Well, bronze is a couple levels up, but there's like brass and tin, lead, aluminum, aluminum, aluminum and lead. Galvanized. I can't remember the orders because we have like <laughs> twelve tiers, and he's at brass. You've got like platinum. If you're in platinum, that's like the million plus club. How many guys we got in that level again? Should we say? No, we don't want to. You don't put that kind of info out there unless they say so. They tell us what to do, and we dance like monkeys. But the brass level doesn't get the dancing; they just get a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Howard. We really appreciate the the support. Uh, Howard uh, didn't. Uh, he's not a Patreon supporter, but he just wanted to do a nice, happy one-time donation uh, that he sent over to our PayPal. So and anybody can do that and get a nice little shout out from from James and a wise crack from Brando. <laughs> no, on a serious <laughs> note, thank you very much, Howard. That was extremely uh, thoughtful and, and does help the cause tremendously. In the cause, you got to remember, we're fighting every day. This is a battle every day. And it's against two of the, probably the toughest enemies I've ever had in my life. And I have a lot of enemies. I kind of pride myself that. Well, you're, you're, that, you're married with kids. You're, you're pretty much, you are I'm the enemy the, every I day. I am the enemy at my house. So, that's who I'm fighting with this. <laughs> so, and I know James, he has, a, he has a cause here in his own home that he has to, you know, justify every day. Oh, and it's man. a hard life that way. It's, you know, I just want you to think about that. Every day you've got to get up and justify what you're doing. That's right. To people. To why are, and people. <laughs> honey, why are you eBaying another old school book? Uh, <laughs> it's research, honey. Yeah. So anyway, seriously, thank you, Howard. Yeah, big much. thank you. Info at the Great Dive Podcast if anybody else wants to make a one-time donation. Uh, a couple new Patreon supporters as well. Really appreciate you guys. And, hey, um, by the way, just wanted to make mention, um, you know, our top listeners, our top cities, you know, our, our local crew, you know, being that we started here in uh, Farmington, Michigan, basically, um, is, is always in there. But also, this week, we got a, a, a big crew up in... Uh, Calgary, Canada listening, and uh, like a new jump in uh, the Cincinnati, Ohio area. So shout out oh, to nice. uh, shout out to those new new cities popping up. Thanks for listening, folks. And country wise, this is a new one, but we've got a bunch of new people from Germany coming in. Oh, I thought you were going to say country wise, all y'all. We got old Randy and Garth down down in Tennessee no. listening. Avita's, thanks, thanks, Av fellas. Avita Zane, breaker breaker. Breaker, breaker. Come around, little doggy. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando.
Hey, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. You're here with Jamesy. And old Brando. We're here for part two of the emphasis on the annual report. Actually, you're old, Jamesy, and the emphasis uh, is on the old today because yeah. uh, it's old Jamesy's birthday today. We're recording on his birthday. It's uh, it's my gift to him. Happy birthday, bro. And uh, I, I always like to give back on my birthday. That's why I'm working and recording this, <laughs> recording this podcast for all of you guys. So, yeah, so welcome back to 30 years of the Dan Annual Diving Report. The God Dan The God report. Dan Annual Report. Now, last week, we were reading a little bit out of this new alert diver, and uh, we went through a few of the case studies and, and incidents in the report, and uh, we want to get back to that. And I, I did want to make mention that in that perspective by good old Bill Ziefel, um, he mentions that analysis of this data can reveal systematic problems inherent in the way divers dive and the way dive professionals teach others to dive. While singular instances of injuries may indicate individual or local problems, repeated occurrences of specific risk factors suggest widespread problems. And this is, uh, you know, one of the things that we keep coming back to in our show about our perspective on issues with buoyancy, balance, weighting awareness you know and they, the fundamentals yeah. are not being taught to a level we think they should be taught sometimes many instances they're not even addressed in the mass produced open water course your basic fundamental course is not really concentrating on the fundamentals in our humble opinion yeah yeah you know here i am uh you know you're yeah, you're down in the cayman islands for a vacation you decide to take a scuba class well they can only use the pool at the marriott from 6 a.m to 8 a.m because that Eight o'clock in the morning, they got the water aerobics class comes in, and then it's you know uh, rum punch uh, happy hour afternoon all throughout the day. So they got to knock this you know basic skills of how the, the bare minimum of how not to die with all this gear on. So the the most of the classes are focused on teaching you how to use scuba equipment rather than really how to become a diver. That's a good point of it, too. I mean, you can go in depth into why we have such quick classes and that don't really cover adequately, you know, in our opinion. And it all goes to money and why the class is the loss leader in the shop. In other words, it's to get you through the door so that they can sell equipment to you. And the instructor is basically working on his own or her own uh, enthusiasm and love for the activity. They don't get rich, right? They, they well, don't you even... mean when you look at the price of a scuba class, like a the price of a basic beginner open water scuba class at most dive shops in 2018 is pretty damn close price-wise to what they were charging in 1990. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the price, I mean, despite what's the price of, a gallon of milk right. as a as a standard and everything else that has inflated over the last 20 30 years basic scuba class is still 200 bucks and 200 dollars now is nothing really i mean and so i guess you know you're weighing that against the idea of upping the price of the course but your competition in the area isn't going to you know i, I and guess then, and then, all, and then how many stuff. people are out there Upping the quality of the course. Well, and that's the other Very thing. Very few. So you Even have, less, because the, yeah. the, the price has been beaten down so low yeah. that you can't afford. I mean, a lot of these guys can't afford to, you know, yeah. especially when you're trying to run it out of a, a, a shop with rent and lights and electricity and inventory. It, yeah. It's hard to, 
to be able to take the time to put in the quality. And you got to figure out, you know, in my mind, I'm always trying to figure out who's at the base of this, this driving force of just destroying the education of open water divers. Who or what is at the base of it? Is it the shop? I, I know it's money, but but who's the real greedy f- who is, uh, you know, driving this destruction of, of education of divers? And thus, destruction of, you know, the whole art of diving. I know on one hand, it does create a business that will offer, you know, a competition kind of thing that will offer a quality education, but it's hard to explain that to new divers. Right, they don't get it. Well, they don't know what they don't know. You can show movies of, you know, especially the old movies of people diving where they're just flipping fins as fast as they can and using their hands in the water, and they think that's diving. Still right, they don't get it. Yeah, do, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, you, you look at a, a shot of video from 20 years ago, from today, really, really good quality divers, mediocre divers, terrible divers, to somebody who doesn't know anything. Right. It just looks like they're down underwater breathing, having, mm-hmm. you know, having a good time looking at fishies. They don't, they don't understand the difference. Right, and that's it. They don't know what they don't know, so it's hard to explain to them, hey, the class I'm going to give you, yes, it costs triple the price. I'm going to spend much more time with you. You're going to go away extremely competent and confident in your abilities. Thus, you'll have more fun. You'll enjoy it more. You know, that kind of stuff. It's hard to explain that to them when they all they see is, well, you've got your class for 125 You know, this person's got one for $125. You've got yours for five or 600 right? Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, Bill goes on in this uh, perspective saying, for example, one diver experiencing an injury due to poor buoyancy control would not necessarily indicate a need for industry-wide reform. But analysis of incident data year after year has revealed that buoyancy control plays a role in numerous injuries and fatalities. Yeah, I, so I love like, this guy. So, I mean, he's actually yeah, saying it. So but, it's uh, not like it's not like yeah, the I didn't industry, need an analysis for it. it. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> no, no. So it's not like the industry doesn't know. Oh yet, yes, yet I know. What they keep standing filtered, behind stats, don't well, they? Well, what's filtered out to all the you know Joe Joe Blow instructors out there is buoyancy control. You can get to in mod. Three, you know, you can worry about hovering and yeah. points of control mm-hmm. last night at a class. You got to right. get him through all this other stuff first. Right. That's what that's what's ultimately you know disseminated to all the. Yeah, they'll learn it over time. So let just give them their cert, let them go diving, versus teach them to dive and then let them go diving. So the perspective of this article is, you know, through data analysis and educational initiatives such as this, we have the ability to make real improvements in diver safety, and that's what this annual report is really designed to do. And he again, he mentions that as we move forward, we will continue to provide the industry's best look at the hazards of diving and recent, and recent innovations in data collection techniques and technology will allow us to delve in greater detail into the risks posed by age, type of training, and type of diving. As well as physical fitness level. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, because that was a big thing we talked about last week's in in many of the and don't forget hair color that you brought up. Peroxide well, yes. blondes, blondes seventeen point eight. I I feel bad for them. So they may have an advantage on the surface in the well, bar. Well, again, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> but it wasn't just the blondes. It was the blondes with split fins. Oh, the split fins. Yeah. Oh, you couple the two together. Subcategory. Are, it's a synergistic relationship of death and doom. But um, I uh, I'm a standing ovation for old Bill Zeifel. Zeifel Zeifel. I'm hoping I'm not butchering his name because, I mean, he's saying a lot of things that we've been saying. Of course, we didn't need to do an analysis. Uh, we can see it every day that we go diving on a, on a cattle boat or whatnot. Uh, you go out on a charter, you're going to see it. 
you can go out on technical charters and you see people that have supposedly, allegedly highly advanced training and years of experience and they're flopping around in the mud or their trim is, you know, 80 degrees. You know? Well, you know, you, you, you see it all the time. I mean, and I get people asking me about it. I mean, I have people asking me about it, you know, this weekend, you know, here you are, you're out doing dives and that, you know, two, two fifty. You know, right. near 300 feet of depth. Can't hold a 10-foot stop. Can't hold a stop, mm-hmm. you know, to or save can't clear the, to a save mask them, at you know, 10 no, feet, Like, yeah. literally, you know, death gripping from the wreck mm-hmm. all the way up, up that, that upline. Yeah. All the way up that upline. And, then, you know, they get the gas switch in, and they, they make it up, you know, by a wing and a prayer holding on to that line the whole entire time. They live. So that sets then, the bar of... That's that normalization yeah, of deviance again. Yes. Right? I survived it. So I could do this I again. I easily do this again. <laughs> Easily is the key word that may be the stretch. Right. So, again, so the report goes through, right, uh, reports from witnesses and next of kin, you know, uh, data entry that was received, and they, they break it down. Like, we started going through some of them uh, last week. But there's, you know, geographic and seasonal distribution of fatalities, and that's where we were talking about where these were occurring throughout the world and why Florida had a higher number of fatalities and incidents than Wyoming did just because of the number of divers and dive locations. We started to get into age and the health of the deceased and and what was going on there. And we learned that body mass index at BMI of... Well, above 30 is obese, you know, and like uh, 25 to 30 is overweight. Right. As that BMI started to increase... So did the link with the fatality right. and, and the I th- injury. I think you'll find a corresponding or correlating increase in uh, a decreased level of physical fitness. And, you know, that is impactful. Right. And when you when you combine the, the, the BMI, the high BMI with age over age, 40. Right. Yes. Right? And Body then, parts then start again failing. over 50. Yeah. Yeah. It's that vicious cycle, right? You get overweight, you don't want to exercise because it's hard to lose. It's, it's hard to move. So you stop moving as much, which keeps putting you overweight which makes you say i want to just sit down and then and you, then add you that, start eating more and then you add that third and then tv looks then good then you had that third little uh, uh trifecta in there yeah. of a little bit of a heart issue yeah and you combine all of those with cold water surges rough rough surface conditions yeah now a little bit of a current, in the night before or, yeah, whatever, all the or, things or whatever that, it is yeah, yeah. whatever I mean, it is you know yeah. hookers combine that with hookers blonde hookers who let you borrow their spank split you, fins. spank you with split fins. <laughs> delete, <laughs> delete. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Okay, so we move into gas type and breathing equipment being issues for these fatalities, and in only twenty of the sixty-seven cases, or thirty percent, it was known what type of breathing gas the victim was using. Fifteen of those, the victim was using air. Open circuit was used in 50 of the 67 cases, rebreathers in four of the cases, and uh, surface supply in one case. You know, the, the surface supply uh, you know, was a 37-year-old male who was on a hookah, hookah and the yeah. hookah stopped, and then the divers made rapid ascents, you know, shooting up to the surface. And Did they die? Yeah. Both or one? or. Case 1-56, a hookah stopped and divers made rapid ascents. Let's just do it, seeing as you're asking all these questions. A 37-year-old male who reportedly lacked formal certification but did have diving experience was diving with a buddy to spearfish. (laughs) 
How many times have you heard this? Well, I don't have a card. I, I never took a formal class, but I've been diving for years. Right. Sure you have. They were using surface-applied hookah diving system, but were not carrying redundant air sources. It was their second dive of the day to 80 feet, which is pretty deep on a hookah. You I know, know. I'm trying to figure out how they got a, that that deep on the hookah. They're usually like a thirty yeah, foot deal. Probably a homemade, it's like a reef. <laughs> yeah, a homemade. Now uh, we're getting down to the crux of it, and I don't know if that will come through in this article, but that's probably at the base of this. Hey, listen, I've special ordered seventy foot. You can get regulator hoses before. Yeah, for people, you know. Yeah, you can get the hose, but the idea is so you can get a little ways away from your your little inner right, tube right. with uh, the compressor going. The hookah diving system had not been refueled between the two dives, and it ran out of fuel during the second dive. <laughs> oh, no, bro. <laughs> it stopped supplying air to the divers. The victim. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Do you think they like looked at each other's like, did you put gas in? <laughs> and, and they're like, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> son of a dope. <laughs> the victim, along with another diver, made a rapid ascent to the surface. The victim became unresponsive upon surfacing. He was recovered by the non-diving occupants of the boat, and CPR was administered, but he was pronounced dead on shore. Medical examiner's report indicated that the victim had suffered significant injuries consistent with lung overexpansion, obviously. I mean, that's like... uh, Yikes. I mean, that's like right out of... uh, Module 4. (laughs) So you look at that incident, and I mean, as you read it, as a trained diver, as an instructor, as someone with diving experience... There's just a flag here, flag there, flag there. You're going, okay, bad move. And you, you've got three or four flags going up. You know, they may have gotten away with it many times before, one or two of those flags, you know. No checklist for the gas. Or maybe they purposely said, oh, we'll be fine. But even if you put gas in, you when you dive on a hookah, nobody's monitoring the Correct. gas supply. Correct. So you always plan it's a, it's that a, it's a it trust, could just cut off. It's a trust me. Like we yeah, talked about it's worse past. than a trust. I mean, it, but the thing is, you're supposed to keep your depth well within reason. Not that 80 foot is unable to be done. It's, it's, I don't believe it's that difficult to do an 80 foot free ascent. But you got to be calm, cool, collected, and maybe had some training. Yeah, well the, well, the training would be key. Yeah, for sure. So the interesting thing about this little section is... When you look at the type of gas used in these fatalities, you know, out of the, the 70 of these, and, and, or nearly 70 of them, he, they mentioned that 45 of them were, you know, what type of gas it was was, was missing. So they, they didn't account. So we can ignore, let's ignore those. Okay. Uh, because well, maybe otherwise it was completely it, empty. It's, was it the problem? No, How did they not, not that it was know? missing because it, it wasn't was... accounted for. Was it air? Was it nitrox? Was what it, didn't matter for the cause? Or? Either it didn't matter, or didn't, or they wasn't didn't. thought to matter, or they just forgot, or they just forgot, never eh? did it. Okay, yeah. But, so let's let's put what those kind of world a, are we living in? Let's put those aside and, and look look at the remaining, you right. know, uh, twenty or so of these. So out of the remaining twenty, fifteen of them were air fatalities. Okay, and then less than five were nitrox. Okay. Less than half of that mm-hmm. was a trimix. trimix right. So, you know, what I see when we look at the, the breathing gas being the cause of the, the fatality, is there, is there something to be said about gaining some experience and training and lessening the likelihood of the breathing gas being the fatality? Meaning, when you've gone through a nitrox class, you, you I mean, if you've gone through a good nitrox class, yeah. what should be in your head is 
no longer do I just grab a tank and breathe from it. Yeah. Right. Even though I'm pretty sure it's just an air tank. Mm-hmm. Having gone through a nitrox class, you're probably in the mindset of, hey, I should still analyze that. Oh, yeah. And when you go through a technical and a trimix class, you're probably even more inclined to analyzing the gas. Even though you're pretty positive it's air, you're still checking it and and alleviating the gas problem being the source of the fatality. Yeah, and but there there's a kind of a a reflex action there too from the trimix divers. I shouldn't say reflex, but uh in other words, they go through the trimix class and they're diving deep and they've got trimix for their back gas and several different mixes of nitrox for their deco. And so when they do a recreational dive on nitrox, they take it extremely like in a no big oh, deal. So I, I, I get you there. Yeah. A, so they've really that. relaxed. They'll jump on a boat and their 32 or 30 whatever is sitting on there if they're doing a recreational dive and they won't even analyze it. And I've, I've come oh, I've to seen this. It. Yeah, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. Yeah. It blows my mind. Oh, I actually was in Fort Lauderdale and I ordered nitrox on the, when I said, Hey, I mean, my two buddies are coming down diving. We were just driving down for uh, the old Dima and we're like, Oh, we got an extra day. Let's go diving, get some nitrox for us guys booked on a night dive we show up and we didn't bring our analyzer for whatever reason because we're we're traveling quick and light and we didn't even think you know we'd be doing much of diving long story short is they had our nitrox there they uh had no analyzer and they just wanted us to trust them (laughs) uh and yeah well the three of us were like uh no we're not we're not diving with that without analyzing it ourselves and they could not understand that we would not trust them. I mean, I want you to look at those accident reports. Look out, th- you know, through the years, how many people thought they had one thing in their bottle and had actually another. Well, thing I would in their say bottle. that's the. If you broke that stat down, I, I would say that that's a, a big chunk of yes. of the actual problem is is breathing the wrong gas and not yeah. realizing what the gas was. Oh yeah. So fortunately, there was somebody else at another boat that had a, a nitrox analyzer, and. We analyzed ours and we were good to go. Anyway, the long which is story short, be, right? Yeah. Which is going to be the case, like ninety nine percent of the time, yeah, right? Of course, but I mean, you, do you want to take that? I mean, when's that yeah. one time? I don't feel good diving when I don't know what's in my back, too. Right, right. I mean, I fill up my own bottles, that kind of thing, and I analyze. If I ever add oxygen to my bottle, I analyze it. If I add helium to my bottle, I analyze it. Anyway, the long story short is, it, you got to be extremely. You got to know what you're breathing. Right? Okay, so the, the next phase of this report moves into dive buddy status. So at least eight of the 67 fatalities were intended as solo dives. Most of these fatalities began as buddy dives. When survivors notice that their buddy is missing, it does not necessarily mean that the buddy became intentionally separated. Rather, it may mean that nobody noticed the diver was having the problems that eventually led to the fatality. Yeah, I think we saw that in a couple of stories already. Right, so the so here we're going to go into a little bit more detail of where these are the actual cases. So case 1-65, silt caused an unplanned separation and a fatal delay in exiting a cave. A 68-year-old male, an experienced and certified cave diver, had completed several dives in the same cave system prior to the fatal cave dive. The diver and his buddy entered the cave system with two primary tanks each, one diver propulsion vehicle each, and a decompression tank each, which they staged near the exit. The diver scootered to around 3,000 feet of penetration and then left the main line to explore a side passage. The victim was wearing his primary tanks on his back while his buddy was wearing hers on either side. So side mount. 
The pair entered a low section of cave where the floor was covered in mounds of dark silt. Visibility was suddenly compromised, and the divers lost contact with each other. The buddy found her way back to the main line and reported waiting for three to four minutes before leaving the cave exit. By the time the victim returned to the main line, leaving his DPV in the side passage behind him, his buddy was gone, and the victim started the long swim out. At the time, they were the only dive team in the cave. Meanwhile, the buddy surfaced and notified officials. A team from International Underwater Cave Rescue and Recovery arrived on site, entered the cave, noted the decompression tank just inside the entrance, and found the victim about 300 feet from the exit. His oh, tank's man. empty. Yikes. It probably got lost for just a little too long. And that's one of the things, you know, that's a cave diving accident. You're trying to think of where's the error, right? And they don't say how the silt out happened. Sure, so there I'm could gonna, be a lot of issues there. It, but they don't say it, So, but my mind, with my own experience of scootering in caves and actually having somebody lose control of their scooter, because it's very easy, the line of the scooter can easily catch the trigger and take that diver for a ride, as well as just destroy, I mean destroy the visibility till it's chocolate milk and you cannot, you can put your light right into the lens of your mask and you will see brown chocolate milk. So I've seen this happen, and I know it's scary. And if you're not on that line, good blankety-blank luck. Right, and there's, I mean, and that's what good cave training, especially a, a, yeah. a higher-level cave training, mm-hmm. which is what these guys are should be certified to, you yeah. know, if they're doing this type of a dive on DPVs, thousands oh, yeah. of feet back, doing a jump off the main line. I mean, they, they should have had the training. You would hope. You, but you, you that's think. the thing is we don't know. I mean, and we're and still not getting no, the full Yeah, there's story. no telling, you know, yeah. when, when you're I, shitting your pants because... Yeah. I think this could because even happen to is, you know, experienced divers, too. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, there's definitely something to be said, be, knowing that you're a long way time-wise from Swimming. home. Mm-hmm. From home. 3,000 feet swim, even with a little flow with you, is still a 3,000-foot swim. Right. I mean, that's a long ways. Yeah. So, you know, and then, so, the scooter so dive, the, so the, the issue being that, so this was a buddy team. They had a silt out mm-hmm. and then somehow left protocol because the well, they got team. separated. They got mm-hmm. separated, and then well, it's a hard that, that... it's a hard thing to think in your head, right? I want you to think about this. You get separated. Your protocol is supposed to kick in. You're supposed to do a buddy search, take out your your safety line, and you do a search, right? But you've got to cut your losses at some point. If you can't find them, you have to try to survive. You did your best. That's all you can do. But to have two fatalities is worse than having one, isn't sure, it? Sure, sure, sure. The first I ever looked for three to four minutes. And then bolted out of the completely out of the cave, right? So I mean, I could I could see looking for three or four minutes and then moving fifty feet down the line, see if the visibility, and then and then give it some time to see. Sure, sure. You're, what you got to think of if you're that diver? If my scooter dies now, I don't have a backup. If my gas goes, I don't have any backup because that's your ta- your partner, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. So those are the things that have got to weigh pretty heavily. Is you lost your backup for your way home, so. If you leave now, you might be able to swim home and still make it. You might. If you, you could make it on a scooter, so you got to rely on a scooter. Anybody that drives scooters in a cave especially, the first thing you, that goes in your mind is, this scooter is going to f*** me when I need it most. So that's how you plan. Yeah, you got that, that's the assumption you have to make. If right, you, if exactly. Gonna, I mean, you, you can say that it, it, if you're doing a dive to that level, you have to think that way. But so what reality, should have these guys, reality, they should have planned it to a swim. I'm sorry, to, I mean, the reality of it is they didn't plan it well. It goes to their planning because 3,000 feet back, 
They well, should have had a stage bottle with they them. They, sh- be, they should have planned to be able to swim it. That, that's the reality of diving with a scooter. Can you still swim it? They should have had a stage. They should have had an extra gas bottle. Not just going on back gas 3,000 feet back in a cave on a scooter where when that scooter dies, you are just effed. Again, I've done a dive like this or, or two or three, and you have to go in with some kind of planning. And I think that maybe that to me is at the root cause of what they did. Planning and maybe training. They don't have scooter training in a cave. I think all of these things, I mean, we never get, we never in any of these have we gotten the full picture. You know what I mean? We've never right. gotten all the details that needed, that are needed to analyze it. So I don't know, maybe Dan is withholding stuff. I have no idea. Okay, so we move on to um, analysis of situations and hazards. And we classify each fatality that we investigated according to the phase of the dive during which the incident occurred and also recorded the chronological chain of events that ended in death. And we break down a few of these by dive phase. The dive phase categories are as follows. A, being on the surface before diving. B, underwater. C, on the surface after diving. And D, exiting the water. Dive phase information was available in 40 of the 67 cases. Case 1-39, boat couldn't reach a lone struggling diver. A 65-year-old male was on a guided dive to 40 feet of seawater. He reportedly separated from the dive group to surface alone. At the surface, he was seen struggling to get to the tagline. He sank before anyone on the boat could reach him to offer assistance. His body was recovered three hours later. So here, when we're looking at this as being a, a case of the dive phase, right, being in, uh, in phase D, but when we look at it, okay, uh, I mean, this really lies in the heart of buddy separation as well. Right, reportedly separated from the dive group, was going to surface alone by himself. Refresh, I didn't, I'm sorry. What did he die from? He reportedly separated from the dive group to surface alone. He surfaced alone. At the surface, he was seen struggling to get to the tagline. Okay. And then he sank before anyone on the boat could reach him. Okay. So I guess the sinking part is, to me, is like, how? How did he sink? How and why? Did he have lead shoes on? Did he lose his split fins? Well, he's a, obviously didn't establish positive buoyancy for whatever reason. Okay, you know, there we go. Could have been a number of that's reasons. That's what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah. Why, why did he not have positive buoyancy? And I guess that's what's missing could, yeah, from this could story be a, again. Could be an How education. much weight did he have on? Yeah, it could be too much weight. Could be education. Could be Well, educate, I mean, if you're out in the water, I mean, even... You're going to float in the ocean. I'm assuming this is ocean. This is another thing. We don't know if he's in the ocean. Well, we don't even, know if he's in a wetsuit. I mean, if he's overweighted, he's not going to float. If he's oh, not, wait. If he's not I putting, think in Open Water not, 101, they teach you how to ditch your weights. Well, sure, but whether or not the instructor checks that box off and teaches it to you does not mean that you've got the competency so I, to correlate there that we to go. real life. So I guess we're going back to training. That's what I'm trying that's to get at. By, that's what I meant by education. Yeah, well, and yeah. Okay, I guess my whole thing is we don't we got a story with so many of the very very important parts of the story gone. How much weight did he have? What kind of exposure suit is he wearing? 
what environment is he in? Is he in the ocean or freshwater? Cold, hot, warm, whatever. All these things affect that particular scenario tremendously. You know, a dry suit diver, extremely overweighted, that points to a whole a lot more than a, a newbie wetsuit diver with a three mil on or even nothing on, no, no exposure protection. Do you know what I'm saying? There's so much that's missing out of the story that how can we sit here and even give a small opinion on what happened? Well, right. So, I mean, they're only listing one of these in the report. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. You know, they give you one example, and so, the example misses I mean, a lot of, the, of uh, I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. You told, I mean, we have a story, and we go, yep, he's dead, but I don't know why he sank. My question is, why did he sink? So they mentioned that. So dive phase information was available in 40 of the 67 cases. As can be seen in the majority of fatalities, this occurred either underwater 27% of the time or on the surface following the dive. How, so, did so any happen before the dive on doesn't the show, oh, okay. it, it, This is showing that um, yeah, some of them had to have occurred that way. But they're saying uh, 27% of them occurred underwater, uh, 25% occurred on the surface following the dive. The other two, um, on the surface before diving or while exiting, I think they attributed it to other. Okay. That's what it is, is because we went through a couple of these, mm-hmm. like the guy that was in his late yeah, 50s, to get on the boat, tried to get on the boat, had the heart attack, he was overweight, yeah, had, so. you know, enlargening of the heart already. Yeah. So they, that's exiting the water so they, stage. Yeah. yeah, so that was, they actually ran through that report in an earlier Right, I get that earlier get that. section. That's fine. I mean, we got more information yeah. on that than we that you can make a reasonable picture in your mind of what's going on, so you can actually learn from it. This one, it's hard to learn from because we're not given an, the the details that are affecting this whole situation. The fatalities root causes, also known as triggers, mechanisms, disabling injuries, and causes of death could not be established in 33 of the 67 cases, so almost half of them, mostly because of missing information and inconclusive evidence. No, and inconclusive investigative results. Among the 34 cases for which information was available, the most common triggers were an underlying health problem, mostly, uh, running low on or being out of air next. Now, this table here goes through all the different triggers um in one case it was alcohol intoxication in another case it was difficulty in breathing there was another case of equipment malfunction well the difficulty breathing i'm i'm pondering in what way don't know i mean it could have been exactly it could have been you know uh, a heart issue it could have been a weight issue it could have been an equipment issue i mean there's a exactly lot, that's a what i mean the difficulty breathing actually all the deaths come down to difficulty breathing at one point eventually okay. they, they probably do yeah in 10 of the cases there was a health problem that was the trigger four of them was low on or out of air was the trigger that that led to the fatality Seven times, uh, not applicable, uh, overweighting of the diver was a specific trigger in one. Panic was a trigger in two. Rough seas was a trigger in another one. Now, of these, uh, of these, the most common identified harmful events or actual mechanisms of the injury were underlying health problems and insufficient breathing gas. So in one of the cases, it was 
intoxication from ethanol. There was eight mechanisms from health problems, insufficient breathing gas in six of the cases, panic in another one, rapid ascent in, an, in another five of them. Of these 34 fatalities, the disabling injury and causes of death, respectively. So in most of these 34 fatalities, the cause of death was established by a medical examiner was drowning, obviously, right? We talked about that last week that, you know, um, sure, he was overweight and had a heart attack, but he died, from, died. from drowning. <laughs> yeah, he, he, lo- he lost, his, his, life, lost yeah. his buddy, searched around yeah. in 100 feet until he ran out of gas and drowned. And drowning then, was yes, the, the Oxygen could right? no longer be exchanged, right. right? So, however, according to Dan's expert reviewers, the data indicated that a leading cause of disabling injuries was an acute cardiac event in, in a lot of these, right? And the disabling injury in a lot of these was six was an arterial gas embolism. Six more was drowning. Another nine of them was a heart problem. One of them was, you know, intoxication. One of them was a complete loss of consciousness. Now, of the causes of death that were actually described... Death. Death. <laughs> causes of death are what, what overweighting. Think, what do you think? The, so, um, acute myocardial infarction. Yes, that's in, a heart attack. In two. Arterial gas embolism in another five. Mm-hmm. Arthrosclerotic cardiovascular disease in another four. Dial- hardening of the arteries. Dilated cardiomyopathy in another one. Drowning in, an, in 14 of them. So here they go through two cases uh, that illustrate the complex interplay between the disabling injury and the cause of death in these incidences. That resulted in a fatality. So case 1-07, a lone diver suffered heart problems. So we have a 66-year-old male with unknown certification and experience had an arrangement with a local landowner to park his truck near a beach from which he frequently dived alone. He was last seen alive two hours before his body was found floating on the surface by kayakers. Investigators were called to the scene. According to a news report, Heart problems were a factor in the death, which was ruled an accident by the coroner's office. So, I mean, is this is this a a, a problem where flat out, no matter what this guy was doing, his his number was picked for that day, right? So if he you was have no idea if he was going to the library, he was having this heart attack. If he was going diving, he was having this heart attack. You don't know. If he had a buddy with him, would it have made a difference? Mm-hmm. You don't know. So this is an accident that really may not have any effect on the report. I mean, it may, it may not. You know, diving could have been contributory towards his heart attack, the physical fitness or the physical load on the person, but you don't, you have no idea. We have no idea. Uh, I like them all. Case, this next one, you'll, this next one, I think. All right, so this next one, case 1-33, antidepressants were ruled a contributing factor. This makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing a shout-out to all our depressed listeners out there. (laughs) A 41-year-old female had been diving for 23 years and had made more than 400 dives. She had experience in a variety of diving conditions and was certified as both a dive master and a nitrox diver. A dive master. Her most recent dive medical examination had been performed three years earlier. She was being prescribed flu pro she was being prescribed Prozac, 
a drug commonly prescribed for treating depression. This dive was in a popular flooded quarry, and the plan was for a group of four divers to navigate underwater between man-made objects. About 40 minutes into the dive, the victim calmly pointed to her pressure gauge, pointed to her chest, and gave a thumbs-up signal, then, sh- then pointed at the other divers and made a shooing-away motion. The diver then waved goodbye and moved away towards the exit point. The other members of the group surfaced about 20 minutes later. They could not see the victim and noticed her gear was not at the vehicle, so they alerted the facility staff and called EMS personnel. Two members of the group re-entered the water and found the victim in 50 feet after about 11 minutes of searching. The victim was returned to the surface an hour and 20 minutes after last being seen alive. Her pressure gauge indicated her tank was empty. Uh, The autopsy found high levels of Prozac, and the cause of death was ruled to be drowning, with fluoxetine toxicity a contributing factor. Uh, fluoxetine, fluoxetine being a uh, uh, being the uh, you know is being sold as uh, Prozac. In 2010, more than 24 million prescriptions uh, for this drug were administered by the uh, uh, FDA. Uh, they recommend a starting dose of 20 milligrams a day and a maximum dose of 80 milligrams a day. But but the pathology report in this case indicated the diver had taken far in excess of the recommended maximum safe dose. It was reasonable, therefore, for the medical examiner to conclude that the diver was likely impaired, that this was a contributing factor of the drowning. Dan receives many inquiries concerning antidepressants, and this case serves to highlight the fact that divers may not fully understand what is happening inside their dive buddies, even when the dive seems uneventful. Dan recommends to that whenever a diver signals that they intend to exit, a buddy team or team member should escort the diver to the exit point and see them out of the water safely. So, like in the dive, right here, that here they hit like a point where she says, "Uh, tapping her gauge, points to her chest. Yeah, you know, uh, I gotta go up. I gotta go up," and then shoes the other divers away like hey yeah go away you guys will be fine i'm gonna go to the surface i'm a nitrox diver i got my (laughs) in the last 23 years somewhere i became a dive master you know i'll i'll be fine so breaking up a team going and going so going solo and then i i don't think she like went on a spiritual vision quest somewhere between 40 feet in the surface you know that was the because of the the prozac um, I think she had issues, and being alone, unable to share gas with anybody, already completely low on air. Maybe she was low. We have no idea. You didn't say. Well, that was she was saying. Pointing. At, well, I'm she assu- was pointing. I'm assuming, yeah. Pointing at the gauge. We're assuming. In her yeah. chest. Mm-hmm. I'm low on air. Yeah, I gotta but go what up. did the diver? Well, didn't show the ga- She didn't show the gas. Was show, the other the other exactly diver wasn't was. low? I'm assuming. Gotta assume. Well, did they start well, we, the same time? Well, or we not? can say that she was definitely low because they ended up finding her body. Well, she Completely may have, well, let me air. tell you about the Prozac and whatnot. So let's figure out how did she get the high level in her blood. And I just, you know, it's easy. If you're on a uh, prescription that you take every day, and especially something like Prozac, which may impede your memory or thinking to a certain degree. So you take your Prozac in the morning before you're going to, you're getting ready to go diving. You're rushing. You take your Prozac when you get up, you start rushing around, and you th- you go back and go, did I take my Prozac or not? You take it again. Now, I've done this with vitamins. 
of like, did I take my vitamin today? Because I take it every day. Why is my piss fluorescent orange? Why is it glowing now? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I do I do my vitamins every day, and I know I've accidentally taken two. You know, did I take my vitamin this morning? You know, and I'll be eating lunch. I always want to take it with a meal kind of thing. Anyway, the long story short is it's very easy to accidentally double dose yourself. Now, sure. in and of itself on the surface, she'd probably been fine. Who knows? I have no idea. But when she goes diving, and again, we don't know the whole story. And the reality of it is diving in the quarry, I mean, sometimes you the reality, and maybe it's not right, but you say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go up and I'm done. And a lot of times people just see you later and everything's fine. Well, again, fine. it goes back to what we see all the time is 99 times out of 100, it's, it's never going to yes. be an issue. Mm-hmm. But right. even, you know, and, and you're right, but it's always weighed against, okay, I got to, if you're two instructors and one of the instructors has an issue, well, guess what? The whole team's coming up now. The whole group, the class is delayed. That's the reality. And that, should that be how it goes? Yeah. I mean, by the book, for by all means. But by the same token, it happens every, every day, all the time. Dive master or instructor has a problem. They're, they're not going to bring the whole class up. No, they got two more dives to do. They've got to finish these dives or or whatnot. And again, 99.9% of the time, the person just gets out of the water and it's fine. They leave on their own. But in this case, the contributing factors really, you know, the Prozac, that had, you know, I'm thinking she just fell asleep and kept breathing it down to nothing and never woke back up. No telling on that. So, Well, exactly. But, but this is a, a very good assumption to think because she had so much Prozac that she just fell asleep. I mean, that's a really good assumption. That's not like a hair brain idea. That's a, she probably just went to sleep. This is that complex interplay between the disabling injury and what the actual cause of death is. We have no idea. It's really, really hard to tell. And I think that Mm -hmm. they're coming out trying to say it's really hard to tell in a lot of these cases of what is that contributing actual yeah. contributing factor what was it the trigger was it the contributing factor was it the mechanism was it the underlying actual ultimate cause of death which one of these was the actual well, fault or or it's a recipe in other words well, yeah, you take you three inert ingredients that each one in and of itself is fine but then you throw them together and now it's poison Ooh, now it's going to yep. kill you and that's you. what i think a lot of accidents are so there's a couple of rebreather fatalities that the, that is okay. at the end of this report. Want to hit these? So um, Dan is aware of four recreational diving rebreather fatalities that occurred in 2015. Of those four, three of these cases are described below. So in the first one, case 1-25, the current was too strong for a rebreather diver. A 53-year-old male a certified and experienced technical diver was participating in an annual technical diving event. An hour into the dive, the victim reportedly experienced difficulties with a strong current and was assisted to the surface by his buddy. The victim was unconscious by the time they reached the surface. The buddy signaled for assistance. The pair were collected by a dive boat and CPR was performed while the boat headed for shore. An ambulance took him to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Did they say why? No. You're dead. So he had to push himself physically. We don't know the physical fitness level of this guy. We is, he, the only thing we really know is he's 53-year-old male. 
but he obviously has some diving experience and he's in a strong current so he had to you know physically exert himself to some degree build up a co2 i could right. imagine it's not the first time you heard of a co2 issue in a rebreather but was he at the surface uh where ultimately what is he got there with help from his buddy oh he got to the surface yeah. but they didn't say at what the, depth the, he was struggling he was unconscious by the time they made it there okay so his buddy brought him up. Did they say what depth they were at? doesn't say what depth. See, that's a contributing factor that's sure, sure. really important to know with a breather. Okay, well, in this next yeah. one, they do go. So they go, okay. case 1-91, a rebreather diver likely forgot to turn his valve on. That's weird. Where's the suspense? <laughs> A 57-year-old male had been trained on a rebreather, though to what level is unclear, and made a total of about 2,000 open water dives. He had not consistently dived with his rebreather since achieving certification two years earlier. He was an active open water dive instructor and had booked dives on a dive charter boat to explore a shipwreck in 150 feet of water, 46 meters. He was without a buddy and was believed to be using a brand new DPV that he had used only once before in a pool. He was also using a dry suit for the first dive in some time because he had recently been training students while wearing a wetsuit. Another diver on the boat was using the same model of rebreather and the same type of DPV, so these two divers buddied up. The victim delayed getting into the water, taking about 15 minutes to don his equipment and entered the water with a partial pressure of oxygen of 0.22 bar. The set point on his electronic handset was 0.19 bar. The victim then surprised his buddy by engaging his DPV for the descent rather than using the descent line. The victim descended without conducting buddy or bubble checks. The pair lost sight of each other for the first 10 minutes of the dive. Then the buddy spotted the victim near the wreck. When the buddy saw the victim, he appeared to be having trouble and was using his bailout open circuit regulator instead of his rebreather. By the time the buddy reached the victim, there were no bubbles coming from his regulator and the victim appeared to be unconscious. The buddy pressed the victim's purge button, but no gas came out and the victim's submersible pressure gauge indicated that his bailout tank was empty. During the rescue... Attempts to inflate the victim's buoyancy compensator were unsuccessful, and it was discovered that the victim's diluent valve was closed. The victim opened the valve to inflate the victim's BCD. The Not the victim opened the valve, the rescuer, the buddy. Opened the buddy opened the valve, the valve to okay. inflate the victim's BCD. Right, okay. The victim was sent ahead to the surface, feet first, while the rescuers and the buddy completed their decompression stops. The victim was recovered at the surface and swiftly taken to the nearest hyperbaric chamber, but was pronounced dead shortly after his arrival there. The PPO2 displayed on his dive computer reached 2.5 bar before falling mm. during the dive, indicating that the oxygen valve was turned off at depth. It is of note 2.5 bar is the maximum possible value displayed by his model of dive computer, mm -hmm. even if PPO2 levels are higher. Estimates based on the recorded millivolt output from the oxygen sensors in his dive computer suggest that the PPO2 in his breathing loop when he reached 151 feet was likely around 4.8 bar. None of the warnings displayed by his dive computer from one minute into the dive onward were acknowledged by the victim pressing a button on his handset. 
Well, I mean, you listen to this, and of course that would happen. He, he couldn't inflate his BCD, jumped in the water. He didn't have his diluent, which is what's going to add into the O2 so you don't have full 100% O2 going into your mouth. And he was at 150 feet, which is five atas, five bar, whatever you want to say. And they're saying, yeah, of course he'd have about 4.8 PPO2 of 4.8 bar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course yeah, he would. Absolutely. He's breathing 100% oxygen down at 150 feet. And he couldn't, he didn't hit his button because that's the last thing on his mind. He's probably trying to stop his descent. You know, he had no way to inflate it, anything. And, yeah, he's just uh, plummeting. You know, so he, well, he's he went, scootering yeah. on the line too. Yeah, and he went to his bailout bottle, but it's probably a 40. It's probably something small. I don't know. I'm I'm, not, I'm guessing from what I see. I'm not a I'm not a breather diver, but I know a little bit. And you look at the uh, bailout bottles; they're just 40s, you know, or typically, or 46, yeah. a steel yeah, yeah. 46, yeah, whatever. But typically, yeah, they're not huge bottles. So uh, if you're breathing heavy and you're 10 minutes at 150 feet, it's not unheard of. And who knows if he was full on his bailouts, et cetera, et cetera. To finish it up, it says. It is thought that the victim descended with his diluent valve closed. During testing of his equipment, it was, it was discovered that his diluent valve could not be turned on while someone was wearing the unit because the dry suit inflator valve obstructed access to the diluent valve. The victim had apparently arrived at depth, bailed out to a 40 cubic foot tank, was unable to inflate his BCD, ran out of gas, and drowned while wearing a fully functioning rebreather with one of its valves turned off. The dive computer worn by the victim logged a total dive time from surface to depth to resurfacing of 21 minutes. What about his dry suit? Was his dry suit hooked to an independent inflation source yes. or to his yeah, bailout? Yeah, that's what they were saying is where that valve that. was impeded no, the I thought, control oh, of, oh, the, oh. of the diluent valve. I didn't get that out of it. When they said dry suit inflator valve, I... Well, what are you saying? It says, I assumed uh, it's their the, chest... Or inflator valve. Because the dry suit the dry suit inflator valve obstructed access to the diluent valve. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean I'm not again, I'm not a rebreather diver. I know you've got to have your diluent going though. Right. Uh and I know what the diluent does. He had a dry suit, he had a BCD, both of his inflating mechanisms either weren't turned on or weren't working, and he sunk breathing 100% O2 because his diluent wasn't turned on either. So he had a bunch of not doing things before right. he jumped in the water. Right. Before he even jumped in the water, right? Nobody and, checked. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there's... There's I mean, a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, that's there, why, you know, I mean, I mean, tra- training people to, you get in the water and all that chaos <laughs> is going on on the boat. You stop at 10 mm-hmm. feet. doesn't matter if it's a 40-foot dive. you can, if you can. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's a 40-foot dive or a 140-foot yeah. dive. You stop at 10 feet. You square away with your buddy. Just square a couple away before of ba- you even get in the water. A couple basic things, you know. You do the quick buddy check, too. And, yes, you should be doing your bubble checks. You can do that on the way down. I mean, I've done yeah. dives where you're doing a lot of things on the way down, but you've done a very thorough pre-dive entry because you're on the boat and you have time. My whole thing with diving in the ocean, I don't, you know, especially in a current, you don't like to sit there at the surface long. You like to jump in, especially in a tech dive. Jump in and get going. Do a bubble check, you know, like you say, at 10 feet, and everything's cool. Let's go to separate right off and, the bat. And that also sh- shows that if you are having some sort of an issue, right. it can be taken care of right now. It can be right taken now. care of, exactly. And and you're together still. Versus you know, if, if you're going to have a problem on a 150-foot on a dive, 
it would be wise to <laughs> figure that out at 10 feet, not wait mm-hmm. till you get all the way to 150 to realize I've got something I have to take care of. And you're using gas five times as much. Right. And your time, when you take an extra two or three minutes, it's going to cost you five or six. Right, exactly. Okay, the last one, case 1-95, a diver felt unwell before losing consciousness at the surface. A 54-year-old male was diving with a rebreather in a flooded quarry. The diver's certification and experience level were unknown. The victim complained of feeling unwell before the dive, but decided to dive anyway, putting his stomach's uneasiness down to his previous night's meal. According to investigative reports, the victim initially went into the water with a friend, then signaled that he planned to surface a short time later. At the surface, he indicated that he still felt unwell, then descended without his rebreather loop in his mouth. The buddy grasped the victim, towed him to shore, and then called emergency services. The main findings at, at autopsy included an enlarged heart, heart disease, and placking when conditions were benign. If the current picks up or the surface conditions deteriorate, then all else being equal, a fitter diver will be better able to cope. If we love diving as a lifestyle, if we look at dive magazines and imagine ourselves drifting over pristine coral reefs, if we proudly tell our friends that we're going scuba diving on vacation, then we owe it to ourselves, our family, and those we care for to stay in shape for diving. Start today. Let being fit to dive be your motivation to succeed. You will likely see your air consumption improve. And you'll feel better. And you'll feel better. So, I mean, uh, in, in closing of the fatality end of this report, I mean, that's what they're saying is diving's a physical activity. You mm-hmm. know, it. As much as it is just drifting along the reef in Cozumel mm-hmm. and, you know, looking at the fish as you go by and it's claimed as being the easiest diving in the world because you don't have to do anything. You just drop in and you drift and you go. You're right. Until that one dive when you got to get, get back, back to over, boat, you yeah. got to get back mm-hmm. to the boat. Got to go against current to a certain degree or at least hold your position or something goes wrong and you're trying to stay together and, and it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I mean, I've done the dives there and you get in and the, the dive master realizes, you know what, we're like 100 feet too far in. We got we to gotta get out a couple hundred feet a little bit further to actually be on the stretch of reef where there's going to be any action. And I'm going to show these guys something. Yeah. You know, if I want to get a, swimming, baby. if I want to get a tip for showing them, you know, the splendid toadfish, <laughs> we got to get our asses way over here, which means now I got to cut cross current mm-hmm. to get out there. But you won't get that tip from a dead guy. The wife or husband <laughs> or spouse or significant other is not going to say, hey, you showed them that cool toadfish. So here's five bucks. So in addition, given that cardiovascular problems remain a significant contributory factor in many diving fatalities, Dan encourages every diver to know the signs and symptoms of acute heart problems. Procedures for the medical evaluation of fitness to dive may be due for updating to account for the aging diver population and thus the increased prevalence among divers of medical conditions associated with aging. Boy, that's going to go over like a lead balloon in the in the dive shops for, for getting people into classes. It's already tough in, in the medical sense because, hey, in the world we live in right now, everybody's on something or it seems that way. The, the person who's not taking anything is the rarity. So they close out the fatality section by saying buddy checks, checklists, clear dive plans, gas planning, maintenance of dive skills, 
properly equipping yourself for every dive, staying fit to dive. All these steps reduce risk so we can keep diving safely year after year. I've heard that all before. I've heard it all. Somewhere, maybe on one or two episodes (laughs) of our very show. TGDP. Plus, we kind of preach it to our students that we've been preaching for 20 years, close to 20 years. Yeah, I mean, this uh, is, uh, I hit my my 20-year instructor this year. The the thing is, when we really came around, yeah, when we when physical fitness, yeah, when when. About the same time in, yep. the, in the early two thousands, so, it's been you know fifteen years at least. We've been saying this to people, and had the backup of other agencies that have fortunately come out of the woodwork. Yeah, like when, when we were enlightened, and you know, you you were enlightened, you enlightened me. There's something there's something more to it than just 90s. you know getting that card and splashing in the water. There is a there's a, there is an art to it. You know, yeah. Since then, we've been making that a, a mainstay of our right. education. And I'd like to say I invented it, but I didn't. I got it. I got it from other dive, not other people I was diving with. But thankfully for the internet, this is one of the great things of the internet. I learned about it on the internet, and then went and met these divers and dove with them and took training. And yeah, and, my, and, my whole world changed. Yeah. And you passed it on to me, and I passed it on passed, to every yes, like. Yes. And it re- literally, I mean, it it changed the way I do things. I mean, like immediate flip. Like it, yeah, it hasn't yeah. been the same since. Been the same way with me. So it's so listen. There's a better um, way. Boy, hope you brought a uh, stage bottle because yes, we're not we're, done. We're not done. We're not done, guys. We're going to stick with this annual report for another week. This is the, our first three-parter because although we went through fatalities, we got a whole big section of diving injuries that I really want to get into, particularly like the DCS stuff. So we're going to go through a bunch of those. We're going to look at how uh, a couple of these cases came about, uh, what happened with the divers that, that led to a number of these different injuries divers with possible pfos and you know, a couple of cool things that are really really interesting uh we'll get we'll get off the death and death and fatality stuff for a little bit but we're still going to stick on the the problems and the accidents that are still there yeah what james said yeah let's stick with it uh again it's a stage bottle dive it's a five thousand foot penetration scooter double stager it's uh it's a tough time now don't silt this up on me because we, we gotta get out so we can finish episode three yeah. next week that's right so all right guys uh hey thanks again to uh the recent patreon supporters and the paypal donators and uh all the all the people listening all over the world uh we uh re- really dig you guys uh here in the u.s canada germany australia sweden vietnam uk netherlands belgium New Zealand. Big shout out to all you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all. It's been great to uh, you know, see the support, and um, we're just going to keep pushing forward, I guess. All right, guys. See you next week. Safe diving.
Brrrr! <laughs> <laughs>